from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. I just saw a movie on Amazon, I think it was, that a friend recommended to me, and if it's a war movie, it's called Midway. Now, there was a 1976 version that I actually saw in the theater when I was a little kid. My dad took me to see it, and I had no idea what was going on. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I I wanted to watch this remake. I'm sorry. Why are you laughing at me? me I no idea what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) It was the first movie I went to that was like an adult movie, and I was too little to comprehend anything. I just remember... Planes flying into boats and bombs getting dropped on people. And right. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, Midway, it's about the Battle of Midway, which was a turning point in World War II. And I'll tell you my realization as I watched this movie was... Can we back up? Yeah. When is the year of the one you're talking about? Because you mentioned there's one from 1970s or something. What? But when is this one? Uh, this is a newer one, Did I one, not right? say that already? I don't think so. 2019. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it came out in 2019. Now go back to your realization. Now my realization is that I have no idea what it's like to be in a war. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm one of, you know, my generation just didn't, my, my parents' generation knew Vietnam. Um, my grandparents knew World War II. I don't know. I don't know this world, the world of war. It's so foreign to me. Like my only point of reference for all these planes, and we're talking the 1940s. These are prop planes Mm -hmm. dropping bombs on Japanese um, aircraft carriers. And this one guy is, is, is credited with, with bombing this uh, aircraft carrier that was the turning point in World War II. Mm. Like you and I would not be here. Mm. Our country would not be here. Wow. It would be, just be a different world if it weren't for the courage of this guy. And and I just realized my only point of reference was video games. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I just found myself so grateful for these heroes. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it brings up the whole topic of war and just war and all that stuff. And I, I don't know how to reconcile all these things. I just know that that man's courage has had a direct impact on my life. Mm. And I felt really grateful to him for that courage. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, we're going, you and I are going to Normandy That's very right. soon. Mm-hmm. With this pilgrimage that yeah. we're going on to France, Normandy is part of it, and um, yeah, the courage. Yeah, the courage that it took, and how though the courage of of these men change world events mm-hmm. that allow us to sit here recording a podcast right now. Like, there's a direct right link in a chain of events that mm. we just take for granted. Yeah. Wow. We might be speaking Japanese right now, or we wouldn't exist. Who knows? You know, the, just the way maybe our parents wouldn't have met. Maybe our parents wouldn't have been born if the war had gone a different direction. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Wow. Crazy stuff to think of. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for a question from a patron? I am. Okay. This is from an anonymous patron. I'm afraid that all of my personality traits 
come from my wounds and brokenness. The things I do, my preferences, my associations, everything is linked to my painful and problematic upbringing. I cling to little things that served as escapes and a lifestyle that made me feel in control. The more I go into inner healing, the more I become aware of the fact that I do not know who I am beyond a list of facts and knowing that God loves me. It seems scarier to be healed and not know the desires of my heart than to be very familiar with the bumps and bruises that are on it. How do I continue to trust that God will reveal my true identity and integrate my life when it feels like I'm becoming a stranger to myself and everyone who knows me? Ooh. Wow. Wow. I know we, we always have the disclaimer on the show that you and I, Wendy, are not therapists, and we're just sharing our own life experiences and theological knowledge, of course, and we hope that's helpful. But I, I must just say from the start, I feel underqualified to give uh, an answer to this question, but I can share from my own experience because there are many places in this person's question that I say, yep, I can relate to that. Yeah. Yep, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. We are really wounded, right? I mean, we're really wounded. We live in a fallen world, mm. and we were made for perfect love. And none of us has grown up in an environment of perfect love. None of us. And that means every time that we didn't experience perfect love because we're made for perfect love, there's a wound to our hearts and we learn coping mechanisms for those wounds. We learn how to cope with our pain. We learn how to get along. And usually we do that by shutting down parts of our hearts that are pained and wounded and we don't want to feel that anymore. I'll tell you the story uh, the story. What do I mean? I'll tell you the story. <laughs> no, I'll tell you a story from my own life here that just happened recently because my spiritual director was recognizing that there are there are ways that I try to cope with my pain from childhood, from growing up in a fallen world, that just are to put me in control, to put me in the driver's seat because... A lot of my pain from my childhood, and I could even use the word trauma, um, it is traumatic. To live in a fallen world is traumatic, and we find these ways of coping, and it's usually to get on top and be in control because we have felt powerless. And when we feel powerless, we feel vulnerable, and we have to find some way of feeling powerful and in control. And so my spiritual director was recognizing this, and he had this great prayer assignment for me of looking at the two different responses of the two different thieves crucified on either side of Jesus. And he said, one's a control freak and the other is more humbly accepting mm. God's real plan of salvation. And he said, just pray into it and see if the Lord shows you anything. <laughs> and it was really enlightening. I got a, a light on my own heart here. Um, and it was this, that the, the bad thief, let's call him the bad thief, wants to be saved. He says, if you're the Messiah, save, save us and yourself, right? So he wants to be saved, but what he wants to be saved 
from the cross. Mm-hmm. The other criminal, who we call the good thief, he wants to be saved, but he's humbly accepting that he's on a crucifix, and he's humbly accepting that an innocent man is with him on the cross, on, the, on his crucifix. And he, he asks this innocent man also to save him, but through the cross. Somehow he has the grace to recognize, I'm not asking to be saved from the cross. Mm-hmm. But somehow, Jesus, would you save me through your cross? And almost inevitably, when I look at my own wounds and my own coping mechanisms for my wounds, I don't think it's almost. I think it's inevitably. When I'm trying to cope with my own pain, what I'm really saying is save me from the cross. I want to find a way around the cross. I want to find a way that I don't have to deal with the cross. I want to find a way that I don't have to deal with my pain. I want to eliminate my pain. I want to erase my pain. Recently, (laughs) recently... This coping mechanism for my pain shows up as the Terminator. And something that triggered my pain, I just wanted to get these big machine guns and gun down this thing that was triggering my pain. Sometimes I see my pain management program, it's my personal pain management program, um, <laughs> as like the Incredible Hulk. Like, I just need to Hulk out. I, this is from my watching the Hulk in the 1970s with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Like, I, I, I feel like if I don't Hulk out... I'm going to be, and rage is one of, anger is one of my coping mechanisms for my pain. I bet you didn't know that about me, did you, Wendy? This is so surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Share with the world that that's really, of course, any any married couple out there knows this is a joke. We know one another, of course. Anger, 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 anger is a coping mechanism for my pain. And I have to, I have to try to make myself big and powerful through my raging, through my hulking out, because I feel little and powerless and out of, and not in control. So I need to get in control. I need to be powerful. And I would, I loved watching The Incredible Hulk because whenever he felt that anger, he would hulk out and he would win the day and he'd be on top and he'd, you know, throw mm. everybody off him when they're piling up on top of him or whatever. So. What does all this have to say about this Those person's are question? Such powerful images. Wow. Yeah, this is the this is the stuff that I I dig up in my soul when yeah. I go to spiritual direction. <laughs> and and I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, but I can say this as a one who takes the gospel seriously, I believe it with all my heart. When we are seeking salvation from the cross, it's a deception. When we are seeking salvation through the cross, it leads to true salvation. And the the kind of salvation that comes, and this is to circle back to some of the points in the question, this person said, I I feel like I won't even know myself because I feel like I've almost identified myself with my wounds and my coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms. And that's just a great unknown. I won't know who I am. I get that feeling and I, I, I relate to it because I've, I felt similarly, even recently I felt, oh my gosh, I feel this, this land that I'm being called to of, of more wholeness, more healing in my own humanity, it's foreign to me. It seems like the great unknown. And, and, and man, I, I, I know I, I'm really dysfunctional in my coping mechanisms, but at least they're familiar to me. But here's, here's the good news of redemption. First, the bad news 
is that our wounds and our coping mechanisms are the distortions of the goodness in us. This is the very nature of sin. Sin by its very nature is, is, is a distortion of a good. So what we would discover in our redemption is the positive side of those negative things in our lives that we've grown accustomed to. And so the redemption is not altogether unfamiliar with the, to us. We will recognize the characters of our soul, so to speak. We will recognize the different aspects of our humanity that we become, became familiar with on our fallen side. Mm-hmm. In the redeemed side, we'll say, hey, I know you, but now instead of being the Hulk, you're, you're Lou Ferrigno without the green paint anymore. You're not pissed off at the world, but I still recognize you. Or, or you're, 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 the, you're the Terminator robot from Terminator 2 that, what's the good guy? I still recognize you. You look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you're not with machine guns trying to kill everybody. You're now trying to protect everybody. It's the positive of the negative, but mm-hmm. it's, it's familiar because it's still us. Mm-hmm. But it's the positive of us. It's, yeah. the, it's, the, it's us in the light. It's us shining as we're meant to shine. And it comes down, I know in my own life, in my own journey, it comes down to this. Do I believe that God's plan for my redemption is better for me than my own coping mechanisms? And sometimes, honestly, I don't believe that. And that's why I just lean into my coping mechanisms. But in my better moments, I can say, Jesus, I trust in you. That your Paschal program of pain management is far better than my personal program of pain management, Mm. which is just to be in control. Your Paschal program of pain management is to pass through the pain with me to bring me out on the other side. Do I believe, Jesus, that that is better for me than my own coping mechanisms? I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's my honest prayer. I'd just like to add a few little things. I really loved all that you shared. Those were very powerful images and um, just spoke to my heart. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that this listener is on an awesome journey. And I hope maybe has a counselor or some support group or someone journeying with him or her to continue to find healing in the Lord. And that is really good. I I wanted to share um, one thing is a movie that just, I think, speaks to some of these questions about recognizing ourselves is the kid. Oh, so good. I cannot yeah. recommend this movie more highly. Yeah. I show it to my TOB2 students. Yeah. Um, at least I have in recent years. I used to show another movie, but please, please, please watch The Kid Yeah, with Bruce Willis. It came out, I think, in the year 2000. In that it it kind of helps that that way that we need to see ourselves from God's perspective and to experience how lovable the person God made is. And that's that's something that we, you know, if we've got so many layers of of coping and and kind of barriers within ourselves, yeah, yeah. we we struggle to do that. And that it's a movie about a person who goes on that 
journey, and it's really, it's beautiful. Um, I and I, I really appreciated what you were saying about seeing the positive that the trait itself actually has a positive yeah, expression, yeah. and that that fear that your your personality comes from your wounds is is not true. That maybe some of the outward expressions of it right now are messed up and they need to be redeemed but in the redemption it's the it's the positive as yes. you're saying and yes. i think that that's so hopeful yeah i'm reminded of a, a quote that has become rather famous from jp2's pontificate he delivered it i believe at world youth day in toronto in 2002 and this is a paraphrase but it was something like we are not the sum total of our wounds, our weaknesses, and our sinfulness. We are the sum total of the Father's love for us and the capacity to become true images of Christ or true sons in the Son or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that is so, so hopeful. Uh, you know that, that line in the Mass where the priest is pouring the, the water into the wine and he says, through the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Jesus himself was not sinful, but the scripture says he became sin. He who did not know sin became sin in order to redeem us from sin. So he, he bears our wounds and in the resurrection, he still has the marks and the scars of the crucifixion but now they shine with glory. Those wounds that you've become familiar with, those coping mechanisms, all of it, your sinful humanity, your broken humanity, uh, it doesn't get erased. It gets redeemed. And that means all of us, our scars will still be there, but they will shine with glory. They will shine with glory. May we ask for the intercession of the good thief that he would teach us that humility to accept salvation through the cross, not salvation from the cross. Mm. As in, I mean, I just as I said that there is a right way to understand we get salvation from the cross, like it comes from the cross. Right. But I, you know, I think everybody knows what I meant. We're not trying to go around the cross. Yeah. We got to go through the cross to find the salvation we want. Yeah. Please, Lord, help us to follow you the whole way. Our next question is from a listener named Maria. Hello, Maria. Blessings to you. I'm the proud mother of a 16-year-old boy and an 11-year-old girl. Recently, I found out that one of my son's good friends purchased a Plan B contraceptive pill for his girlfriend. He shared this on a text to a group of friends, including my son, and the boy's tone was very denigrating and obnoxious. When I tried to talk with my son about the matter, he just felt embarrassed. Is it possible to talk with teenagers in a way that won't make them feel threatened or embarrassed about the beauty of their sexuality? How can I help my own son and daughter, and other teens for that matter, to better understand their own sexuality and body through the light of the Gospels and the love of Christ? Bless you, dear mama. Bless you. You know, when Wendy and I got married and we were already studying and teaching this theology of the body, um, 
I had this naive expectation that because I had all this great knowledge that, you know, raising our kids with this knowledge was going to be, not that it would be easy necessarily, but man, am I ever going to be ahead of the game? And are we going to do so much better than our parents did? And oh man, then reality hits you and you realize we live in such a broken world and we are not the only influences on our children and we are not perfect communicators and we don't know the ins and outs of every detail of our child's heart and how to reach it or how to say it. And, you know, we now have adult children in their 20s and all of them have, as adults, we still have two teenagers as well, but all the, the more adult children are already in stages where they're saying, yeah, that was, that helped. And I'm so glad that you shared that. And that was really the way you raised us in that way was help. But man, that was not, wow. No, that didn't help. And that really messed me up. And so there's, there's, <laughs> there's no perfect, this is the way to do it. I think you're confessing we're not uh, expert parents. <laughs> correct. Correct, Just correct, correct. On that journey. We're on the journey and learning from our mistakes and it's hard. I just want to affirm if you're, that's what you're feeling. I mean, how do I, how do I communicate this to my children in such a way that they're not squirming in their seats? And well, I I do want to point you in a direction for a resource that I really believe can and will help you. And we offer to our patrons a series for Theology of the Body for to communicate it to teenagers and Theology of the Body communicated to pre-teenagers, like middle school age. The middle school age program is just brand new, uh, offered on our patron community. It, if it's not up there right now, it should be very, very soon. I know it was just being edited, and I, it, it, yeah, it'll be up there very soon. Um, but you do need to be a, a patron to, to partake in that. I'll give you a little hint that all you would need to do is pay $10 for one month. You can watch those two programs, and then you can cancel if you don't want to be a a patron in an ongoing way. Of course, we'd be very, very blessed if you would be a patron in an ongoing way. But I'm I'm not trying to twist your arm in that regard. What I really want is for you to have this benefit so that you can... This is my dear esteemed colleague, Bill Dunahy, going through these programs for for older teenagers and for younger teenagers in communicating these truths. And I think you will learn a heck of a lot in both for yourself and how to communicate, but also maybe to watch it with your kids. I, I do think this tragic experience of this text message and the plan B contraceptive thing and the very crass way it was communicated is a teaching opportunity. This is a moment of sadness, but the Lord can turn into a moment of grace. And I know that's why you're reaching out, because that's how you want to approach this. Those resources can help. Um, I'd also, it's an opportunity for you to look back at your own upbringing. What were your parents' shortcomings in this regard? What were your wounds there? The more we heal, um, and and I'll, I'll just share this quick story. Like, one of the big mistakes I made with with my kids was kind of a self-reliant, I'm going to do it better than my parents did attitude. And it was a a kind of, there was almost a little arrogance in me. Like my mom and dad didn't 
give me jack s-h-i-t when it came to this stuff and i'm gonna get it right i'm gonna do it right i'm gonna have the conversations with my kids because i was so wounded by my parents approach and i'm gonna get it right that whole self-reliant i'm gonna do it did not serve the cause well at all it ended up causing more problems uh, and I've needed to learn how to humble myself and in my poverty, open myself up to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know how to father here because I wasn't fathered here. Please meet me in my weakness. And uh, one of my favorite lines from John Paul II is, the more I'm called to be a father, the more I'm called to be a son. Mm. And that's that place of just going in my own poverty and saying, Abba, Abba, father me in my own wounds so that I can father my children. And a a woman could also obviously go to the father, but also go to the mother and both men and women. You know, I need to be properly mothered. I was not properly, let me say this about my mom and dad. They were so good in so many ways and they gave everything they had to the nth degree but you can't give what you don't have, right? And they weren't given this vision, so they couldn't give it to me. Um, I love my folks. I don't want to paint the wrong picture here at all. But they, they'd be the first to admit their poverty here and their inability to pass this on. But we all need to be fathered and we all need to be mothered in the ways that we weren't properly fathered and mothered. And thanks be to God, we have a heavenly father and we have also we have a mother in the order of grace and we need to do, go through our own healing here. And in that regard, while I'm speaking about the patron community, please check out the retreats. If you're a patron and you haven't gone through the retreats that we offer, the retreat that I did with Dr. Bob Schutz and the retreat that I did with Andrew Kamiski and his team, those are two different retreats we offer our patrons to, to go on a journey of that healing that we ourselves need so that we can be more whole, not that we'll ever be perfectly whole, but we can be more whole in in passing this on to our children. Yeah, that, that's excellent. I would just add a couple things here that um, I can relate to having initial conversations that just come out of a lot of intense feelings that I might be having as a mom in the moment, kind of an urgency, um, maybe like a reaction to you're encountering evil, you know, you yeah. in that text message, a lot of different aspects of evil. And as when you have a heart that's sensitive to it, you can't just ignore that, but maybe you don't have like a clear strategy or kind of a thought through approach. And, and so kind of the intensity of the feelings, I think, at least for me as a mom, can kind of be a little overwhelming to the child and not knowing what to do with mom feeling these strong feelings suddenly. And, and yeah, it kind of can cause a withdrawal from the, from the conversation. So I'll just say I can relate to that. Um, but I think it, this is something that even just by submitting this question, there's an honest, like, I, uh, a longing to connect with your son and with other teens. I think that's a beautiful desire. And I think maybe there's an awakening, like, okay, he's 16. He probably still seems pretty young to you. I mean, I have a 16-year-old, and I, I, you know, it's not that long ago that he was 13. And, you know, like, you just like, oh, this is kind of 
a shocking moment of saying, is this part of his life now and his friends' lives? And it's kind of an overwhelming moment, I think. So all of that, I just want to say that I'm praying for you. And I think it it does take some time of prayer to kind of, for your own heart, to look at all those different things, the, the, the response to the evil that your son's being exposed to that's in this world, that's in his friend's life. Then, you know, also just the um, feeling of not being ready for him to have these things to dealing with, knowing that he's not ready. And yeah, all of that is is really important to kind of take to several times of prayer and just open up the feelings and let the Lord um, shine his light into your heart and your mind there. I think it is fine after that, and and included in that would be absolutely praying for this young man who sent the text and all the other people who received the text, for his girlfriend, for her family, like all the players here, are, you know, need prayer, need grace, and that would be a beautiful response to this. But I think it's so good after that to come back to your son and to just in a private moment to seek it out and say, I know when I first talked to you about that text, I was feeling a lot of things and it, I probably wasn't that helpful to you to experience all that came out of me at that time or the way I said it. Can we start over? Mm-hmm. Can we can we talk about this? And something I think is helpful to teens is to is to really seek to know, do they see some good in this friend or in this relationship. Because if they think that you're insisting there's no good there and they see some good, they might have closed mind and, you know, not ability to hear anything that you're pointing out that is not good. But if they can share from their experience, is there anything good about this relationship? And is there anything that they see as a problem in that relationship? It can kind of open the door for them to be able to have more of a, a sharing and a conversation. So those are just some thoughts from my experience, um, just in this very practical experience that you've had of of having an unsuccessful attempt to talk with your child. I can relate to that, <laughs> as can Christopher. Yeah, and there's, there's a point that you just made, Wendy, that's reminding me of what we were saying in answer to the previous question Mm -hmm. about sin and wounds and brokenness and how it gets redeemed and that that our sinfulness is the distortion of a good in us. And and I would say, I would venture to say that all of our children um, would say that one thing that was helpful to them and how we raise them is with a, a proper understanding of the nature of good and evil. And a lot of people, even in Catholic homes, Christian homes, are raised with a, a dualistic understanding of good and evil. That evil is over there. It's something you can point to and say, that's the evil thing, get rid of that. And good is over there, and we got to cling to that. And it, 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 that's not the nature of good and evil. Uh, the nature of good and evil, and the, the, if you've ever... If you've been a faithful listener to our podcast, you've heard me say this a million times. The devil doesn't have his own clay, right? He, he takes God's clay, which is good clay. God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very good. 
He gets his hands on that clay and he twists it up. He distorts it, right? And the redemption is the untwisting of that clay. So there's some really twisted up clay here, but that clay is good clay, right? Evil is twisted up goodness, right? So the goodness is still there. And, you know, Jesus uses different parables to try to address the same thing. Like the wheat and the weeds grow together and don't be too anxious to get those weeds up and out because you're going to take the good wheat with it, right? That is a, that is a very nuanced, delicate approach of Jesus himself to the nature of good and evil, that they grow together. And Wendy, your point is well taken. If, if in a kind of reactionary mode, you just write that person off, your friend is just evil, um, and your son knows that's not true because he wouldn't be friends with him if he wasn't attracted to some good in him. Uh, you know, when we sin, St. Thomas Aquinas says, when we sin, we're looking for something good, but we miss the mark. We miss the mark. What is the good that this friend was looking for? Well, the good of closeness and physical union and sexual pleasure, these are goods. These are goods. Sexual pleasure is not evil. Uh, The desire to be sexually intimate is not evil in itself. But when we take that good thing and it gets twisted, the fruit is rotten, right? I, right away, Wendy, when you read this question, I thought, this is the fruit of a pornographic world Mm -hmm. right here. This friend has been exposed to porn. He's been, he has a pornographic mentality. What is porn? It is... Porn is a diabolic mockery of a heavenly reality, a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. What we really desire is the heavenly reality, but we, we don't believe God wants to give it to us because we have this idea of God as some big bad meanie who wants to keep us from having a good time. And the devil says, he ain't going to give it to you, but I am. Come my way. And we go down the pornographic trail rather than the path of learning what it means to love as God loves. And then the rotten fruit is, well, I had my pleasure. Oh, you got pregnant. Well, let's just get rid of it with plan B contraception, which isn't contraception. It's abortion, right? And this is the all-out hell that breaks loose when we don't believe God's plan for us is to prosper us. And we grasp at things in a disordered way. We're looking for something good, but we miss the mark. And the mark here is heaven. And that's a mark you don't want to miss, Right, so this is—it doesn't. When we have a true nature understanding of the nature of good and evil, some people think, "Well, that's kind of a watered-down approach to." No, it's not a watered-down approach to evil. It's the proper approach to evil because it's reality. Uh, Don't give the devil his own clay, and always be willing to help your children, even in the face of evil, to see the good in there that got twisted up. That, that can be just a game changer in, in the way we parent when it comes to good and evil and can you watch this movie and no, that's not allowed, but why isn't it not allowed and why is this bad and why is that? Because we can always hold out the good that, that they're attracted to, even if they're attracted to it in a disordered way. We can affirm that is a good thing, but you're attracted to it in a way that's missing the mark. Let's untwist that. Let's find a way to find the good that's in there. Let's let the light of the Holy Spirit to come into those places and those distortions to untwist what sin has twisted up so we can see the world rightly. And then the world is no longer this big, bad, horrible place that we have to hide from 
because it's all evil, because it's not all evil. It's all good. God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very good. And evil is parasitic. Evil latches on to the good and tries to suck the life out of it or twist it or distort it. I've said enough there, but I just wanted to to say Mm -hmm. that that is so important. That we ourselves have a proper understanding when we're dealing with evil, we have to have a proper understanding of what evil is and what it is not. How do we overcome evil? Not by yelling and screaming at it, but by turning the light on. Mm. We overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good. We overcome pornography with a holy, sacred, glorious, beautiful understanding of the dignity and splendor of the naked human body. That's the good with which we overcome Mm. porn. If we think the body is pornographic in itself, we've given the devil his own clay and he wins. Don't give the devil his own clay. Learn the painful, difficult road of reclaiming the good that evil twists and distorts. This is the power of our redemption. This is the power of of the Paschal mystery of death and resurrection. I love hearing you answer questions. This is a great job I have. (laughs) (laughs) I have another question for you. All right, let's do it. This is from a listener named Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. I'm studying to be a religious educator at a university here in the Philippines. But before that, I was in seminary for eight years and discovered the theology of the body there. I'm wow, so, that's exciting. I just want to say, here's to your seminary. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's rare. I'm such a huge fan of Christopher West's approach of integrating art and movies in particular into his methodology of teaching the good news about our body and sexuality. I would love to do the same once I become a professional teacher. I was wondering, what are the top five movies that you would recommend to someone that will help them ponder and reflect the beauty and mystery of the body? Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, top five movies. Well, I can tell you the movies that I show in my courses. Mm-hmm. I show The Truman Show in T.O.B. 1. I show The Kid in T.O.B. 2, although I used to show um, I Am Legend. So mm-hmm. I'm going to make that three. Okay. Truman Show, I Am Legend, The Kid. And then in the Love and Responsibility course, I show Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. And in the Mary course, I show Babette's Feast. Mm -hmm. But then there's another course, the TOB in the New Evangelization. I show, um, what do I show? What do I show? Les Mis. Les Mis. Yeah. Les Mis. So there you have it. (laughs) There you have it. Truman Show, I Am Legend, The Kid. Uh, What did I say next? Uh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, Babette's Feast, and Les Mis, Les Mis, the musical version of Les Mis. And I have a free ebook mm-hmm. you can get online if you just Google Christopher West, Theology of the Body at the Movies. We'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. The, uh, Christopher West, Theology of the Body at the Movies. And you can download this free ebook where I, I review like, I don't know, 25 movies mm. with TOB glasses on right. and, and unpack the, the gems in there. Yeah. It's such, I have found it over the years, such an effective way to teach. And one of my most rewarding experiences as a 
professor of theology, is when a student says, you know, I've seen the Truman Show like four or five times before, and I never saw that. Thank you for helping me to see what this movie's really about. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw the the kid, or I saw I Am Legend. I never knew what it meant, but thank you. You gave me glasses to see. Right. I love, love, love when art starts to come alive for people. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful to the movie buffs and music buffs and artists who have helped me to read art in a, in a proper way. And I'll, I'll tell you one little clue, one little hint, one little key that really changed uh, the way I see movies. Somebody said to me years ago, this was a student, this was like 20 years ago. He said, you know, everything in a movie is intentional. It's kind of an obvious statement, but you get the impression you're, you're, you're watching a movie and it's like the camera is just kind of going down the street and catching whatever comes in the lens. Mm-hmm. And maybe that occasionally happens, but especially if you're on a movie set, yeah, every single thing was placed in there for a reason. Mm-hmm. The bookshelf, the clock on the wall, the, yeah. the poster on the wall, the sign on the street, the music that's playing in the background. Uh, listen to the lyrics, read absolutely everything, read headlines in newspapers. All this stuff is in a movie to tell the story. And that that was 20 years ago, and it, it really helped me to enter more deeply in, into movies. And I share some of those clues in the opening chapter of that T.O.B. at the movies, right. how to read a movie, how to enter into the to the gift of a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we talked in a recent episode of our podcast about um, – a mini series of Sense and Sensibility that yep. we watched. I just want to chime in with a couple of movies that are meaningful to yeah, me it, in Wendy. this regard. Do it. Um, one of them is uh, the Pride and Prejudice um, movie that I have uh, watched and watched the director's commentary and just kind of get a lot out of it. Um, so I share that with our listeners. Um, also, Return to Me is this kind of romantic comedy. It's really beautiful. So good. Yeah, so beautiful. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, the live-action Cinderella has some really beautiful reflections and messages about um, inner beauty and about mercy um, that are just very powerful. Um, Oh, I know one you love. If you don't think of it next, I'm going to tell you so you can talk about it because I know you love it. What? Uh, what's the oh. Will, Will Smith one The when he's the... the Hitch? Hitch, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is very good. It's yeah. got similar it's themes great. to it's it, doesn't it? It's got some great stuff. About the, knowing the real person the real, and yeah. not staying at um, kind of those surface impressions. Yeah. yeah. Well, why didn't I think of that movie for Love and Responsibility? Mm. I mean, Groundhog Day is a great one, but that would be good, too. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, so thanks for that question, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. And thank you, everybody, for submitting your questions. Please keep them coming. We're so grateful that you keep this podcast alive. And if you were blessed by something you heard today, maybe you know somebody else who could be blessed. And you could share it with that person. Until we are together again, may you know it. You are created by God as a gift to be a gift. Mm. Become what you are. I liked your little mm there, Wendy. That was good. Mm.
Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.